Welcome to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, where we dive deep into the vibrant universe of health and wellness innovation. Our mission? To champion sustainability, equity, and patient-centered care for all. I'm your co-host, Greg Masters, the executive producer of the show, and I'm thrilled to be joined by the brilliant Gil Bash, a digital health enthusiast, renowned author, and a beacon in the global health community. Together, we're on a quest to spotlight the visionaries, the game-changing ideas, and the companies reshaping healthcare as we know it. Today, we're coming to you live from Health 2023 in the dazzling city of Las Vegas. And guess what? We have the privilege of hosting Dr. Stefano Bini from the esteemed UCSF Department of Orthopedic Surgery. Dr. Bini is a mastermind in hip and knee replacements and has affiliations with top-tier hospitals in San Francisco. His insights on the digital health transformation of musculoskeletal care showcases passion for blending technology with orthopedics. So without further ado, let's hand the mic over to Gil. Great. Thank you so much. By the way, to our listeners, we are recording today live from the floor of health. Health has attracted this year in Las Vegas, 10,000 visitors. One of the very special visitors we have on our program today, Dr. Stefano Bini. Dr. Bini, you are born in Italy, sort of raised in Australia, medical school here in the United States. I think, was it Stanford you went to medical school? Uh, Columbia for medical school. Columbia for medical school. Great medical school, great medical school, obviously. Back to Italy for another medical degree. You're an orthopedic surgeon. I think you're specializing in, in knee and hip. Fantastic. Your father, famous architect, now in his 90s, still busy working. You traveled all around the world together. I'm not surprised that you're an orthopedic surgeon. Architecture is really about construct, design, ideas, putting diverse abstract things together. You learn that really at the table of your father. First of all, I want to explore this with you because you're involved in so many things. You're a physician of note, orthopedic surgeon by specialty. You're a builder of community. I understand that you're building an orthopedic AI community that's really looking at how orthopedists, hospital system leaders, technology people can come together to improve care. You've got an educational element that you're involved in. You understand that education is so important to the future of medicine. I understand from some people here, you're a bit also of a peace builder. You understand that meetings like health, we all come together enthusiastically, and then it kind of falls apart, right? We get, as you said, that last mile, and suddenly all our good intentions just evaporate. So I just wanted to start welcome you. I want to thank Greg again. He both introduces the show and introduced me to you. Thank you. And I, I wanted to explore a little bit about why are you involved in so many critical facets of bringing diverse communities together and trying to sort of get them to listen to each other, hospital administrators, clinicians, patient groups, economists. Why, why, the, why this urgency of bringing people together and getting them to listen to each other? Um, so thank you very much for that introduction. It's an honor to be here, Gil, uh, with, with, with Greg as well. We've known, we've known each other for a long time, and it's, uh, it's awesome to be on the show. So thank you very much for the opportunity to share some ideas and thinking around 
this extraordinary space, which is the digital transformation of healthcare. Um, and the, the, the need, the, the urgency is that, especially if you're a clinician, and I don't really care what part of the world you live in, our ability to provide care to our population is becoming challenged. We simply don't have enough people to deliver care the way we'd love to deliver the care. And it's Absolutely. not a zero-sum game. For us to be able to do this, we have to come up with a solution. That solution will inevitably be some form of technology, either independently or as in a support role to physicians so they can do more with less. That's the background. But for that to happen, what became pretty clear to me as I started to engage in, this, in what was then digital period, it wasn't digital health, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, is that as these technologies were being developed outside of healthcare, and inevitably they're going to uh, bleed into, to use uh, visual. No pun intended by orthopedics. Oh, maybe it was. Uh, into, into our world, we needed to be aware of what the promise was of these technologies so we could know how to engage with it. Now the problem was if you if I went to speak at a conference, a large orthopedic or medical conference as I do, and there may be thousands of physicians in the audience, they're hearing about the same thing that we'll hear about, clinical improvements and clinical care. No one's saying, oh by the way, we can do that the same thing, but with a technology layer built into it. Then you come to health. And like you said, you have all these amazing technologists improving their offerings and talking to each other, but the only clinicians in the room are people who have their own startups. They're actually in the game. And so there wasn't a, a, a confluence of ideas. And so that goes back to my upbringing and my amazing experiences traveling the world over. Uh, 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 you know, thankfully for my father's work. And one of the take-home messages for me that really came together when I went to Italy for my fellowship or where I got my medical, my second medical degree was, in the process of doing that, I had, I was given a 90-degree orthogonal perspective of problems that I thought I knew backwards. I'd gone to Columbia, Stanford, UCSF. I thought I was extremely well-trained. And frankly, these people, these Italians, you are, by it, the way. Thank you. But they came at it with such a different perspective that it opened, blew my mind open. As it happened, every time I crossed, I crossed paths between various views of ideas. So, I'm very interested in joint replacement. I did a fellowship in oncology. Oncologists are joint replacement surgeons, but they look at things very differently. I would go to an oncology meeting and then go to the orthopedic arthroplasty meeting, and I'm like, wait a minute, behind that foam wall, they've solved the problem you think is intractable. And over and over again, I would see the lack of communication, and I saw, I saw, I saw an opportunity to create, a, to create a conference where I would bring together these people. I'd sit at a venture capitalist next to a hospital administrator, next to a, a physician who's practicing, and over coffee, have them have a little bit of what a taste would be like if they could simply talk to each other, what would happen? So I wanted to explore the, the, for one moment your brain, if we could, because you have a very unique pattern recognition skills. You know, it's, you're, you're seeing things totally differently. Now, part of it is your life experience. You traveled the world as a young person. You went to medical school here in the United States and in Italy. 
You did a fellowship in Italy. You did fellowships here in the United States. You were enamored with technology. I understand if I'm correct that as an orthopedic surgeon, you're kind of booked up to the summer in, in terms of your clinical practice. So you're kind of a mesh from that. Now you create this, um, this coalition, you could say, or collaborative environment for hospital administrators, clinicians, technology gurus to sit around the table, have coffee, and discuss concepts and ideas. You're also looking at how other medical specialties, brains work, how an, how an oncologist or hematologist thinks, how the, how the surgeon thinks, how the primary care thinks. I just wanted to sort of check in with you for a moment and ask, do people ever sort of ask you, Stefano, how does that mind of yours work? I mean, what, you're, it's so it's so busy and expansive. Um, I, I'm just curious, how do people react to you or relate to you personally with someone who's really thinking out of the box, which is yeah, what we need to solve someone else's biggest well, thank challenges. Thank you. I appreciate that you put it in a positive context. Let's be looking at it and say, slow down. I can't follow you. Just no, 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 no. I, I think the world that. needs out-of-the-box thinkers. Well, look, to me, um, okay, we all have a superpowers. My superpower is pad recognition. You actually picked up on that. I actually... I sound extremely, but you know what? I'm tired of apologizing. That's what I'm good at. There's a lot of things I'm not good at. I'm good at that. Well, my superpower is seeing other people's superpowers. Well, then. <laughs> it's more benign than yours, <laughs> but it helped. it's yeah. helpful. No, you saw it right away. Yeah, so this is where I excel at. It's also a lonely place because other people don't see it. You have to bring them along. And uh, I have been told just recently by a mentor of mine, says, just say three things and stop. Let people digest those three things. And then only if they're ready, bring more. So that's good advice. Um, when you look at the scope of the things I do, they all have a, a tie-in. They all build on each other. Um, and I'm trying to do what I can where I can. And it's a little selfish because I really love that space. That border between the possible and the theoretically possible, what you can do. But I... I'm very grounded in, in the practical because of my experience as a head of department where you actually have to get stuff done, head of a hospital where there's financial constraint associated with a hospital. And then when I worked with a large organization managing 20 hospitals, driving direction, all with understanding what the constraints are. But to me, it's always about, okay, how do you connect these brilliant out-of-the-box out of ideas to real needs? And then bring together into with a package, a mm -hmm. format that actually has a chance of seeing the light of day, because it still has to go through a very transient system that has no interest in changing. Just tuned in. Welcome to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, broadcasting live from Health 2023 in Las Vegas. Today we're joined by Dr. Stefan Albini, the visionary behind DocSF, leading the digital transformation of musculoskeletal care. Stay with us. Yeah, look, I'm glad you recognize that um, it's a superpower. And the, the challenge is we have so many linear thinkers who see their problem their way. For someone to sort of come above it all and see all the connected tissue is um, something that I think this form in health you know, desperately needs. You know, I, I wanted to check in with you something that I've been writing about, I think that you really have great empathy for, is our fragmented health ecosystem. 
right. that that you know the payer is thinking about you know reimbursement and profit, and the physician is thinking about what do I need to do for this patient, and the, the patient is searching for information and answers. Policymakers are sort of setting down guidelines for for Medicare or Medicaid, and, and then of course you, you have the whole provider universe, which is vast. The primary care doctor is so different than the oncologist or the neurologist or the endocrinologist. Um, you're, you're, I think you're, you're a sort of a lifelong optimist. I, I can feel in your spirit and the way you work with people, you believe that we're going to get to a better place. We're going to get to solutions just by people sitting and trying to understand, how do you work? How do you work? You know, how could we work together to resolve a problem? Is the U.S. health system's fragmentation just so vast that we're at best trying to diagnose the fragmentation? Can we actually, through your efforts and other people's efforts, get to a place where we can use that fragmentation to recreate a better system? I like where you're going until the very last phrase. Okay, let's so go with that. Here's the way. I wrote a piece on LinkedIn called Disintegration of Healthcare. And then I reframed it as this aggregation of healthcare. And I have had the experience of working in a fully integrated government subsidized healthcare system when I was doing my fellowship in Italy, answering both the benefits and the downsides of that. I've worked in the academic healthcare system, which is really part and parcel of the for-profit software system. And then I was 15 years at Kaiser, a prepaid healthcare Great system. system. And saw the value proposition of challenges throughout all that. And where I come down on it is that there is not going to be, it should never be anybody having the idea that there's a one solution fits all for a country as diverse as ours, or even as small as, say, Denmark. That's about as small as you can get to. Right. You might be able to manage one way things out. And even they will tell you, uh, the guys in the north are different from people in the south. And at the end, it's going to come down to um, a hub and spoke model where there's going to be a centralized bucket, a centralized hole, a centralized, not hole, a centralized um, entity that will absorb risk, that's the government, for the very expensive. The very expensive chemo, the very big trauma stuff, the big premature baby, that whole fracture work that we can absorb. And very likely, very, very healthcare situations, depending on population density. Density drives an awful lot of how the system can structure. Okay. And also population education demands. So the idea being that as opposed to uh, a broken healthcare system, we get one that's more personalized that actually leverages data, that leverages technology to deliver care where it's needed in the way that's most appropriate for that group. And the, the, what has to change to me, format-wise, isn't so much the way we pay for the, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong about that, but rather the way we think about the delivery model. So we're still stuck in the idea that I have to see you to deliver care. That actually is optimal. Right. Everybody puts that as the bus. And by the way, I need to have an hour to talk to you and write a beautiful note and follow up with you three times a week. That's that's the idea. Well, we know that's never going to happen again. That died in the 1800s. And we're moving to a place where there's not enough of me and there's a lot of you that require my care and I cannot deliver. So it's a false dichotomy that it's either no care or my care. It's either my care 
or a technology substitute for that part of the care model that the technology can handle. And today it's not much, but it's growing every day as to what it can handle. In your handle. discipline in orthopedic surgery, can you give me some examples? Absolutely. About, please. Let's talk about the surgical experience, the patient experience, right? Let's talk about personalizing that care model for two people. Let's take a single mom who's working two jobs okay. and, and not maybe the inner city but in a large and then you take a family in a rural environment. One you think being in a city has access to care, but the reality is she doesn't. And the care she has access to or whatever she can afford to pay is going to be limited with very high deductibles. And the person who may have a very successful farm and, and they do fine financially, okay. but who's out in a rural community has to drive 40 or 50 miles to get to a doctor who may not be competent in their specific problem, no matter how good a physician right. they are. And they need specialized care they can access. So you've two very diverse lived experiences, both of whom have poor access to care. And very likely the bulk of these are younger people, the bulk of the care they need isn't necessarily best delivered in person. So how do I support Let's say each of those people have a meniscus tear, an orthopedic injury okay, requires a, great example. a hospital, a very brief hospitalization one day. But the issues in that part, we do that very well with analog technology, is preparing them for surgery going into the operation. Maybe the first one's diabetic, the hemoglobin one c is a little bit high, like to drop right. it down. We need the physician to uh, talk to us about the second one, who has atrial fibrillation. Who hasn't really been managed because she's out of the community. Might be on uh, DOAC or something. Precisely. They're going to come into the surgery with about 30 point touch points to get them into that clinic for that day. Okay. We're very good at doing that. I'm not sure we need to do anything technological necessary there. And then the post operative care, though, is very important. Because now in the post operative period, we want to be exception driven. I only want to see the patients not doing well. Or who wants to see me for some other reason. But everything else is there another way to manage it. And if we can take those two pieces, the pre-op piece and the post-op piece, and put them on a digital platform that supports that care model, and then, and, and then what happens is it de-stresses uh, my current okay. practice, and I can deliver more care to more people. So you haven't replaced me. I haven't replaced anybody. I just potentiated you use your time, care. your time and their time better. Right. This is a personalization of care model and leveraging technology to deliver care in those things that are repetitive or easily done or don't require a medical license and deliver that care. Now you say, okay, well, no, I want to see the doctor. Really? Do you really want to see the doctor? You have to challenge that assumption because when it comes down to waiting in my office for 15 minutes, right. see me for five minutes versus driving minutes, there also. Yeah. And when people say, well, after COVID, everybody went to the clinic. They didn't, they didn't stay online. That's true. But what I push back is that we're offering them a clinical experience that's very similar to dial-up banking in the 80s and 90s. Oh, it wasn't very good. That's so, good. well, you can expect them to like that. But if you're offering modern banking, well, we know what happened to the teller. Right? So, once you offer a futuristic avatar-based, LLM-backed, super smart uh, interface that speaks in your language uh, at your educational level, can explain anything if you didn't get it right, right the first time, right. is available 24-7 versus 
a phone message to my clinic that doesn't get answered for a day or two, and then it's a voice message, and then if you have a follow-up question, you can answer it. It won't be very long before people gravitate. So, so you're talking about to improving the telemedicine experience. It's part of it's, this is I just we because you asked me the question about yeah. an orthopedic experience, right. so I gave you two uh, two what would seem to be extremely different experiences, but that if we looked at them structurally, we can we can address both of them and both their needs in a way that uh, would cost less, would suit their needs better, would probably give better care. And not put anybody out of business. This idea that we're going to be putting doctors out of business is, is, is founded on fear. Yeah, we, we don't have enough doctors. Although, just for the record, yeah. in 1964, when Medicare and Medicaid were passed under the Lindbanks Johnson administration, the AMA, the American Medical Association, fought vigorously against Medicare and Medicaid. Yes. Medicare has certainly proven to be a great health benefit to all doctors and patients. AMA was terrifying if we put doctors out of business. Um, and it was a sort of a, the destabilization of their economics was anything but. So often I'm finding that psychologically, our fear of I'm comfortable with what I have, I'm uncomfortable with what it might be, I prefer to keep the status quo, kind of is always in the reigning sort of mindset of, of the health system. The health system likes right now. Um, it could be broken, but they prefer it right now. Are you suggesting... But, but this is back to this idea, but that's true, but not across the board. Okay. Therefore, because if when we look at the U.S. healthcare system, and we make these broad statements, you made a broad statement about people being happy or unhappy with it. There's a subset of people in my specialty who are doing very well financially. They're very happy. Okay. There's a subset of people in my specialty who are not doing very well financially, who are quite ahead of struggling making ends meet, or who are closing clinics across the country because they can't make ends meet. Orthopedic surgery. Okay, sure. Do your wow. And others are driving very fancy cars. It's it's across the spectrum. And so one set doesn't want to change anything. The other one's like, no, you better change something or you're going to lose the only orthopedic surgeon that does joint replacement in this county. And it's not just a matter of paying them more, it's making the lives more doable, more manageable, less demands on it. Um, and the answer is not one solution. And I think that it's the sooner we recognize that it's not one solution, and it's not one political system's perspective, it's you know, let's let's go down that way. There's nothing wrong with addressing this. Is before you go there, I wanted to check in with you. Let's go back to your heritage. Okay. You have you have Italian citizenship. You have American citizenship. Yeah. You practice in Italy. No. You, well, you, you, do, you do specialty right. there. So, but you you probably know that system somewhat well. Yeah. Um, the European health system has a, sort of a better shot with electronic medical records, the standardization of care, somewhat control of cost of care. Look, in Italy, they spend almost 50% of what we spend and the life expectancy is longer. Is it because they're using what they have better, they're giving out less of it, and somehow another the, the Mediterranean diet is keeping people alive? Yeah, it's a blue country. Okay, right. Is it is it a is it is it system? Is it technology? 
Is it lifestyle? Yeah, I don't like lifestyle. that question. Okay, you don't like the question. Because it tries to simplify an extremely complicated set of set of drivers, which are culture, diet, uh, weather, uh, competing demands, right? Competing demands on the on the dollar, on the on the euro. Yeah. Um, and so, if you look at the healthcare system that exists in it today, it was it wasn't just invented one day. It was built into a healthcare, uh, an entire political infrastructure that embraced socialism, like all of Europe did, right. and and decided uh, in, inherently to to that there was a, there was the government's job and role to deliver this level of care. The basic benefits to this part. And when they look at what care they deliver, that's a population that is living well, that doesn't, that, no, they smoked a lot, but they didn't drink as much. They had their, the obesity wasn't an issue. And so when you start building a system for that for people, and as it grows organically, it, it became what it is. They have the same issues. I don't know if it's ten, I read 10 to 30,000 physicians short, but their country is a third our size. So it's about the equivalent to this church of the health. They have nursing shortages. They have infrastructure shortages. They didn't invest. In, they weren't able to invest financially in new hospitals. This healthcare system, they've got their own problems, but it's not like one day they woke up and said, we're building this system. It's just that the political environment uh, required that the government provide those well, services. Europe, European nations tend to say, health is a benefit we provide our citizens. Yeah. Not, it's not a private benefit. And everybody signs up for that. So I've got to ask you now, you're into so many different things. Can you give us an insight into like what's the next thing you're you're going to be doing that we should be paying attention to? Um, I'm I'm trying. I have an idea, and I'll share it with you. It's interesting, and uh, maybe somebody is listening. They want to help. Um, so I a few years ago. I got a. I was getting very very. I do a. Uh, I've been doing knee replacement surgery in a new way, along with a bunch of other people. We've got all society around that it's, it's 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 moving away, but we have to prove that it's better. And using traditional outcome measures, I couldn't, so I started looking at the use of uh, sensors on the limb and then using artificial intelligence, particularly convolutional neural networks, to take the raw data off the sensors and replicate what we call the gate lab. Now, when people say that in the outside world, they talk about what's called temporospatial data, gate and motor. What I was looking at, was I'm more interested in, uh, was kinematics kinem and kinetics, which are far more complicated values. There are things about moment arms and the actual angle for And we were able to do it. And that was very cool. Then I realized that, however, as good as that software was, we needed, the problem was the hardware upstream was giving us different types of inputs. So I'm now working with the Consumer Trade Association to create standards for sensors to be Not used in mobility. Once we have the standards done, then everybody can say, this is a fixed output. What AI can I build on that to measure human motion? Why does that matter? I'm looking forward because to hearing Because all that. of healthcare has one endpoint, I would argue, and that's to keep us moving so we can work, so we can stay tell and love us, so we can play. If you don't move, you're, you're having a problem. And so why is it that we don't have a metric to measure the single outcome that we spend 20% of our GDP on? So, I'm looking to develop something that's somewhat simple, like a like a mouse per gallon measure that can be amplified by. We're going to be watching. Share. We're going to be watching this, my friend, <laughs> Dr. Stefano Bini. Thank you so much for being on the program.
Absolutely. Stay tuned and thank you, Greg Masters, for hosting us today. Thank you, Greg. And that is a wrap for today's enlightening episode. A big shout out to our dedicated listeners for being with us and a heartfelt thank you to Dr. Stefan Obini for sharing his invaluable expertise. Stay updated with Dr. Beanie on Twitter at S-B-I-N-I-M-D or delve deeper into his contributions at DocSF via www.docsf.health. Craving more health unabashed? Swing by our program page and catch us weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m. and 2.30 a.m. Eastern or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Join the conversation with Gil and me on Twitter. Reach out to us via Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters M-P-H, and that's Greg with two G's. And don't forget to use the hashtag HealthUnabashed. Until we meet again, stay passionate, stay curious, and champion better health unapologetically. Thank you.